Story 14 of Lucy Mott Montgomery Short Stories from 1904. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Supakanet Limso 1. Short Stories from 1904 by Al M. Montgomery. Story 14 The Promise of Lucy Ellen. Cecily Foster came down the sloping, fur-fringed road from the village at a leisurely pace. Usually she walked with a long, determined stride, but today the drowsy, mellowing influence of the autumn afternoon was strong upon her and filled her with placid content. Without being actively conscious of it, she was satisfied with the existing circumstances of her life. It was half over now. The half of it yet to be lived stretched before her, tranquil, pleasant, and uneventful, like the afternoon, filled with unhurried duties and calmly interesting days. Cecily liked the prospect. When she came to her own lane, she paused, folding her hands on the top of the whitewashed gate, while she passed for a moment in the warmth that seemed cupped in the little grassy hollow, hedged about with young fir trees. Before her lay sere brooding fields sloping down to a sandy shore, where long foamy ripples were lapping with a murmur that threaded the hushed air like a faint minor melody. On the crest of the little hill to her right was her home, hers and Lucy Ellen's. The house was an old-fashioned, weather-gray one, low in the eaves with gables and porches overgrown with vines that had turned to wine-reds and rich bronzes in the October frosts. On three sides it was closed in by tall old spruces, their outer sides bared and grim from long wrestling with the Atlantic winds, but their inner green and feathery. On the fourth side a trim white paling shut in the flower garden before the front door. Cecily could see the beds of purple and scarlet asters making rich whirls of color under the parlor and sitting-room windows. Lucy Ellen's bed was gayer and larger than Cecily's. Lucy Ellen had always had better luck with flowers. She could see old Boxer asleep on the front porch step and Lucy Ellen's white cat stretched out on the parlor windowsill. There was no other sign of life about the place. Cecily drew a long, leisurely breath of satisfaction. After tea, I'll dig up those dahlia roots, she said aloud. That ought to be up. My, how blue and soft the sea is. I never saw such a lovely day. I've been gone longer than I expected. I wonder if Lucy Ellen's been lonesome. When Cecily looked back from the misty ocean to the house, she was surprised to see a man coming with a jaunty step down the lane under the gnarled spruces. She looked at him perplexly. He must be a stranger, for she was sure no man in Oriental walked like that. Some agent has been pestering Lucy Ellen, I suppose, she muttered vexedly. The stranger came on with an airy briskness, utterly foreign to Orientalese. Cecily opened the gate and went through. They met under the amber-tinted sugar maple in the heart of the hollow. As he passed, the man lifted his hat and bowed with an ingratiating smile. 
He was about forty-five, well, although somewhat loudly dressed, and with an air of self-satisfied prosperity pervading his whole personality. He had a heavy gold watch chain and a large seal ring on the hand that lifted his hat. He was bald with a high Shakespearean forehead and a halo of sandy curls. His face was ruddy and weak, but good-natured. His eyes were large and blue, and he had a little straw-colored mustache with a juvenile twist and curl in it. Cecily did not recognize him, yet there was something vaguely familiar about him. She walked rapidly up to the house. In the sitting room, she found Lucy Ellen peering out between the muslin window curtains. When the latter turned, there was an air of repressed excitement about her. Who was that man, Lucy Ellen? Cecily asked. To Cecily's amazement, Lucy Ellen blushed. A warm spring-like flood of color that rolled over her delicate little face like a miracle of rejuvenescence. Didn't you know him? That was Cromwell Byron, she simpered. Although Lucy Ellen was forty and, in most respects, sensible, she could not help simpering upon occasion. Cromwell Byron, repeated Cecily in an emotionless voice. She took off her bonnet mechanically. Brushed the dust from his ribbons and bows, and went to put it carefully away in his white box in the spare room. She felt as if she had had a severe shock, and she dared not ask anything more just then. Lucy Ellen's blush had frightened her; it seemed to open up dizzying possibilities of change. But she promised. She promised," said Cecily fiercely under her breath. While Cecily was changing her dress, Lucy Ellen was getting the tea ready in the little kitchen. Now and then she broke out into singing, but always checked herself giddily. Cecily heard her and set her firm mouth a little firmer. If a man had jilted me twenty years ago, I wouldn't be so overwhelmingly glad to see him when he came back, especially if he had got fat and bald-headed. She added. Her face involuntarily twitching into a smile, Cecily, in spite of her serious expression and intense way of looking at life, had an irrepressible sense of humor. Tea that evening was not the pleasant meal it usually was. The two women were wont to talk animatedly to each other, and Cecily had many things to tell Lucy Ellen. She did not tell them. Neither did Lucy Ellen ask any questions. Her ill-concealed excitement hanging around her like a festive garment. Cecily's heart was on fire with alarm and jealousy. She smiled a little cruelly as she buttered and ate her toast. And so that was Cromwell Byron, she said with studied carelessness. I thought there was something familiar about him. When did he come home? He got to Oriental yesterday, fluttered back Lucy Ellen. He's going to be home for two months. We we had such an interesting talk this afternoon. He is full of jokes as ever. I wish you'd been here. This was a fib. Cecily knew it. I don't. Then she said contemptuously, "You know I never had much use for Cromwell Byron. I think he had a phase of his own to come down here to see you uninvited, after the way he treated you."
Lucy Ellen blushed scorchingly and was miserably silent. His change terrible in his looks, went on Cecily relentlessly. How bald he's got, and fat. To think of the spruce Cromwell Byron got to be bald and fat. To be sure, he still has the same sheepish expression. Will you pass me the current, Dill, Lucy Ellen? I don't think he's so very fat, she said resentfully when Cecily had left the table. And I don't care if he is. Twenty years before this, Byron had jilted Lucy Ellen Foster. She was the prettiest girl in Oriental Den. But the schoolteacher over at the crossways was prettier, with a dash of piquancy which Lucy Ellen lacked into the bargain. Cromwell and the schoolteacher had run away and been married, and Lucy Ellen was left to pick up the tattered threads of her poor romance as best she could. She never had another lover. She told herself that she would always be faithful to the one love of her life. This sounded romantic, and she found a certain comfort in it. She had been brought up by her uncle and aunt. When they died, she and her cousin, Cecily Foster, found themselves, except for each other, alone in the world. Cecily loved Lucy Ellen as a sister. But she believed that Lucy Ellen would yet marry, and her heart sank at the prospect of being left without a soul to love and care for. It was Lucy Ellen that had first proposed their mutual promise, but Cecily had grasped at it eagerly. The two women, verging on decisive old maidenhood, solemnly promised each other that they would never marry, and would always live together. From that time, Cecily's mind had been at ease. In her eyes, a promise was a sacred thing. The next evening at prayer meeting, Cromwell Byron received quite an ovation from old friends and neighbors. Cromwell had been a favorite in his boyhood. He had now the additional glamour of novelty and reputed wealth. He was beaming and expansive. He went into the choir to help sing. Lucy Ellen sat beside him, and they sang from the same book. Two red spots burned on her thin cheeks, and she had a cluster of lavender chrysanthemums pinned on her jacket. She looked almost girlish, and Cromwell Byron gazed at her with sidelong admiration, while Cecily watched them both fiercely from her pew. She knew that Cromwell Byron had come home, wooing his old love. But he shouldn't get her, Cecily whispered into her hymn book. Somehow it was a comfort to articulate the words. She promised. On the church steps, Cromwell offered his arm to Lucy Ellen with a flourish. She took it shyly, and they started down the road in the crisp autumn moonlight. For the first time in ten years, Cecily walked home from prayer meeting alone. She went upstairs and flung herself on her bed, reckless for once, of her second best hat and gown. Lucy Ellen did not venture to ask Cromwell in. She was too much in awe of Cecily for that, but she loitered with him at the gate until the grandfather's clock in the hall struck eleven. Then Cromwell went away, whistling gaily with Lucy Ellen's chrysanthemum in his buttonhole, and Lucy Ellen went in and cried half the night. But Cecily did not cry; she lay savagely awake until morning. Cromwell Byron is courting you again," she said bluntly to Lucy Ellen at the breakfast table. Lucy Ellen blushed nervously, 
Oh, nonsense, Cecily, she protested with a simper. It isn't nonsense, said Cecily calmly. He is. There's no fool like an old fool, and Cromwell Byron never had much sense. The presumption of him. Lucy Ellen's hands trembled as she put her teacup down. He's not so very old, she said faintly, and everybody but you likes him, and he's well to do. I don't see that there's any presumption. Maybe not, if you look at it so. You are very forgiving, Lucy Ellen. You have forgotten how he treated you once. No, I haven't, faltered Lucy Ellen. Anyway, said Cecily coldly, you shouldn't encourage his attentions, Lucy Ellen. You know you couldn't marry him even if he asked you. You promised. All the fitful color went out of Lucy Ellen's face, and as Cecily's pitiless eyes she wilted and drooped. I know, she said deprecatingly. I haven't forgotten. You're talking nonsense, Cecily. I like to see Cromwell, and he likes to see me because I'm almost the only one of his old set that is left. He feels lonesome in Oriental now. Lucy Ellen lifted her fine-colored little head more erectly at the last of her protest. She had saved her self-respect. In the month that followed, Cromwell Byron pressed his suit persistently, unintimidated by Cecily's antagonism. October drifted into November, and the Shildria days came. To Cecily, the whole outer world seemed a dismal reflex of her pain-bitten heart. Yet she constantly laughed at herself too, and her laughter was real, if bitter. One evening she came home late from a neighbor's. Cromwell Byron passed her in the hollow under the bare boughs of the maple that were outlined against the silverly moonlit sky. When Cecily went into the house, Lucy Ellen opened the parlor door. She was very pale, but her eyes burned in her face and her hands were clasped before her. I wish you'd come in here for a few minutes, Cecily, she said feverishly. Cecily followed silently into the room. Cecily, she said faintly, Cromwell was here tonight. He asked me to marry him. I told him to come tomorrow night for his answer. She paused and looked imploringly at Cecily. Cecily did not speak. She stood tall and unrelenting by the table. The rigidity of her face and figure smote Lucy Ellen like a blow. She threw out her bleached little hands and spoke with a sudden passion, utterly foreign to her. Cecily, I want to marry him. I, I love him. I always have. I never thought of this when I promised. Oh, Cecily, you let me off my promise, won't you? No, said Cecily. It was all she said. Lucy Ellen's hands fell to her sides, and the light went out of her face. You won't, she said hopelessly. Cecily went out. At the door she turned. When John Edwards asked me to marry him six years ago, I said no for your sake. To my mind a promise is a promise. But you were always weak and romantic, Lucy Ellen. Lucy Ellen made no response. She stood limply on the hearth rug like a faded blossom bitten by frost. After Cromwell Byron had gone away the next evening, with all his brisk jauntiness torn from him for the time, Lucy Ellen went up to Cecily's room. She stood for a moment in the narrow doorway, 
with the lamplight striking upward with a gruesome effect on her wan face. I've sent him away, she said livelessly. I've kept my promise, Cecily. There was silence for a moment. Cecily did not know what to say. Suddenly, Lucy Ellen burst out bitterly. I wish I was dead. Then she turned swiftly and ran across the hall to her own room. Cecily gave a little moan of pain. This was her reward for all the love she had lavished on Lucy Ellen. Anyway, it is all over, she said, looking dourly into the moonlit bows of the firs. Lucy Ellen, get over it. When Cromwell is gone, she'll forget all about him. I'm not going to fret, she promised, and she wanted to promise first. During the next fortnight, tragedy held grim sway in the little weather gray house among the firs. A tragedy tempered with grim comedy for Cecily, who, amid all her agony, could not help being amused at Lucy Ellen's romantic way of sorrowing. Lucy Ellen did her morning's work litlessly and drooped through the afternoons. Cecily would have felt it as a relief if Lucy Ellen had upbraided her, but after her outburst on the night she sent Cromwell away, Lucy Ellen never uttered a word of reproach or complaint. One evening, Cecily made a neighborly call in the village. Cromwell Byron happened to be there and gallantly insisted upon seeing her home. She understood from Cromwell's unaltered manner that Lucy Ellen had not told him why she had refused him. She felt a sudden admiration for her cousin. When they reached the house, Cromwell halted suddenly in the banner of light that streamed from the sitting room window. They saw Lucy Ellen sitting alone before the fire, her arms folded on the table, and her head bowed on them. Her white cat sat unnoticed at the table beside her. Cecily gave a grasp of surrender. You'd better come in, she said harshly. Lucy Ellen looks lonesome. Cromwell muttered sheepishly. I'm afraid I wouldn't be company for her. Lucy Ellen doesn't like me much. Oh, doesn't she? said Cecily bitterly. She likes you better than she likes me for all of. But it's no matter. It's been all my fault, she'll explain. Tell her I said she could. Come in, I say. She caught the still reluctant Crumble by the arm and fairly dragged him over the geranium beds and through the front door. She opened the sitting room door and pushed him in. Lucy Ellen rose in amazement. Over Cromwell's bald head loomed Cecily's dark face, tragic and determined. Here's your bow, Lucy Ellen, she said, and I give you back your promise. She shut the door upon the sudden illumination of Lucy Ellen's face and went upstairs with the tears rolling down her cheeks. It's my turn to wish I was dead, she muttered, and she laughed hysterically. That goose of a Cromwell, how queer he did look standing there, frightened to death of Lucy Ellen. Poor little Lucy Ellen. Well, I hope he'll be good to her. End of the Promise of Lucy Ellen Recording by Supakanit Limsowan Bangkok, Thailand